original background actually, oops, yeah. My original background is in secularism, and it's a great honor to be here with these distinguished uh, scholars and to see my old friend Hussein Gilmas uh, after so many years. Um, and uh, being having a background in Arab secularism, I guess, is, is to me, and it's something maybe a little bit uh, uh, inspired by Osama Makhisi's wonderful talk yesterday, is that I think we have to look at the problem of sectarianism dialectically. Term, and I think it really applies here. That is to say, in every way, looking at sectarianism and secularism in a dialectical way, looking at the internal sources and the external sources of sectarianism in the region, and um, also what I'm trying to do in this little snippet here is looking at this curious phenomenon of a denial of sectarianism on the one hand and an exploitation of sectarianism on the other hand. And I don't just refer to local players, but also to regional players. And, this talk, by the way, I think it almost fits into the political uh, section. I don't know. I mean, it's going to have some history in it, maybe. And uh, sorry if it's a little bit incoherent because I'm getting it. There was a special issue that came out, which I edited not so well because I was under time pressure, but it's there. And if you want to take a look at it, it's, I think, freely available online. We had a conference in Qatar, and I got a big research grant from the Qataris, very much to my surprise, I must say, because it's very controversial topic there. And the word tarifia really, when I first introduced it a few years ago to my students, Lebanon, the Lebanese students knew what I was talking about, the Qataris feigned innocence, or the Saudis, etc., or you know, really were ignorant, certainly about that term. But um, you know, today I think it's become uh, the term of the hour. And I'm, I'm a little bit sort of, um, well, we'll get to that in a bit, but just to sort of very quickly look at this term, Sectarianism, it's true that the term ta'ifiya as democracy, demokratia, jumhuriya, almania, all these terms, as you well know, um, are all coined in the 19th century. And ta'ifiya, in fact, even later, uh, uh, in the 20th century. I mean, even though uh, when the Lebanese were doing their constitution, Osama probably knows this in 1926, the constitution, they didn't have a word for citizen. So the word they first drafted it in French, and and then they came up with the word The word Mu'atin wasn't coined at that point in time in the 20th century. So Taifia similarly. But that doesn't mean, I think, that we should discount the notion of that there was a concept of something akin to what we talk today about sectarianism in the works of somebody like Ibn Khaldun or uh, many others. And indeed, this is the talk is, for instance, by Ibn Khaldun, which talks about you know, this kind of bias of being with your group, whether they're wrong or, or the right, or wrong or the right, you act with them. And similarly, a Lebanese soldier who defected, defected to Jabba the Nusra recently, he, I think, defines sectarianism in a certain way, which is bias, you know, and saying that terrorists are not those defending their sect. And I think this is what it is. It is a survival instinct. It is something that has been remarked to, again, I say Ibn Khaldun, but also, of course, uh, people like Rousseau and even America. And in that sense, it is uh, something that's not incidental. And it is, uh, you know, this is very controversial. And I hope people wake up kind of because I have a controversial stake on this. I think to a degree it is an instinct. At least that's the way it is often depicted by people in Kaboom. But the question is, you know, how is this survival instinct? It doesn't have to be related, obviously, to psychic, related to Europe, to your race, or to your nation, and that, that, that's a little point. But how is it provoked by internal and external actors? And to what degree is it inherited and constructed? I think 
you know, if you ask, and I think I do this in the introductory chapters of that volume on sectarianism, is sectarianism a conspiracy constructed by foreign powers, or is it an inbred instinct, and you know, inherited by religion or by kinship ties? And I think it's both to some degree. So that's the, the, the take. You have here in Lebanon this kind of blind servants to the Zaim um, in all sects. So it's not just an Islamic thing, obviously. And here we have Osama's right here, and I have uh, his quote, which is unfair because I didn't quote the whole thing. I'm just using it as a as a sort of a, a, a illustrated point. This notion, uh, because I think your your phrase goes on there. It's the, I'm cutting it off there unfairly. Um, that it is, you know. An invention, and then we have Hamid Frangia, who was one of the fellows on the committee in 1925 of the Lebanese Constitution, who claims because that debate was held amongst, for instance, the Lebanese Lebanese Constitution, you know, is this thing something inherited or not? How do we frame the laws to take account of it? And he says, you know, it's wrong to just blame the French for it. It's something we want. And indeed, if you look at the, I'm coming out with an article on this in the framework of the Lebanese Constitution. If you look at it, those clauses of the Lebanese Constitution are not really so much French thing, it's the Lebanese themselves, there was one delegate who was against it, but of all the committee, all of them agreed we needed to have these, uh, these safeguards. So, the major sources, I'm going very quickly here, but the major sources of sectarianism, or if you want to flip it, the stumbling blocks of secularism in the region. I think the first one, which I'm going to focus on mainly in this talk, is ideological, uh, the notion that it's a denial to start out with. There's a distortion of the terms, also secularism, of course, and stigmatization of the latter. There's the sociological thing. I don't, you know, we can. It's very familiar to you. I think the notion that autocrats have fomented it, and thirdly, there's the exploitation of it, uh, both internal and externally, in the region. Um, the denial of sectarianism is not something that's confined to the, you know, hardcore, if you want, to, uh, radical French. But I chose here quotes from so-called moderates or, you know, uh, scholars, if you want, or modern scholars, if you want, Radwan al-Sayyid, uh, Hassan Hanafi, etc., uh, who basically uh, discount the notion of, you know, secularism, to speak, and claim, again, very often that sectarianism, sectarian violence, really is not uh, much of an issue. We have Rashid Zanushi, very much celebrated as a reformer, but likewise, he has, on the one hand, uh, deny the relevance of secularism often, and of course he's changed that discourse a little bit sometimes, but on the other hand, he has, as we know from behind closed doors, um, colluded with uh, Salafis in Tunisia in one of these leaked conversations, uh, where he basically saying, look, I'm having this discourse with public consumption, but don't worry, we're going to take over the state as a whole. So you have, again, this on one hand the denial, on the other hand the exploitation. It goes further to people like Hassan Nasrallah of Hezbollah, of course, who contradicts himself, sometimes saying that, um, we can discuss this with the specialists on Lebanon, um, you know, saying that the, the, the Islamic State is not a, a goal, other times affirming it. A very f incredible voltefach uh, of Nasrallah was, if you recall, with the cartoons. You remember the cartoon controversy a while back. And at that point, he was saying it's a right of us to start a jihad, to you know, kill people who do these uh, derogatory, defamatory cartoons of the prophet, so much so good. But then, in 2015, to the surprise of many, he made the statement that the Takfiri terrorists have insulted Islam more than even those who have attacked the messenger of God. So he made a complete volte faccia, 
And that begs the question of why. I mean, now you can interpret this in many ways. One way is to say that he wanted to portray, and this is, of course, a different context, a different citizen living to quote uh, Kant. So at this point, he wanted maybe to portray his as being the more moderate uh, group, as opposed to the Salafi, uh, the Takfiris who were wrecking havoc next door in Syria. Be that as it may, you see Abu Al-Tafashi. Yusuf Qaradawi, um, of course, likewise, I'm sure you're familiar with that. At one point, he had sympathized with his Fadla in 2006, and then later he did a takfir of his own uh, saying, and saying that he wished he had never done that. And now even calling for the killing of civilian allies, not just even uh, regime. Uh, Saudi uh, itself has had a double standard as a Saudi ambassador after the Charlie Hebdo uh, story, uh, you know, showing his uh, solidarity with Charlie Hebdo's participating, but at the same time, as we well know, Saudi Arabia domestically and elsewhere is um, just kind of, this is about Bedoui, very pleased you're all familiar with that case, I'm sure. And so on the one hand, you're synthesizing with Charlie Hebdo, on the other hand, you're going after very, I would say, you know, harmless uh, fellows. And within Saudi, we'll get this later maybe a little bit, I'll just say that about Qatar as well, which I'm familiar with. I think you just have to look at it, again, we go back to Ibn Khaldun, sectarianism works, right? So for the Saudis and for the Gulfis and for the Qataris and for everyone, actually, basically, it's a temptation. It's how do we counter Iran? Well, the discourse is there. How do we create this solidarity? That is really a weapon that they don't want to give up. On the other hand, they are worried that it will backfire to some degree, and they, you know, it, it, it is this contradiction that is going on within the discourse on many levels. The denial was obvious in Syria. We have here people like Borhan Ghaliun, who claims there were no Salafis at a the time. There was other people, even you know, journalists. And one should say this is not just a phenomenon in the Middle East, the denial. It is also visible in the Western media. It was visible in the way the Syrian and Iraq conflict, other conflicts were caught, uh, Libya, etc., were covered in the beginning um, to, you know, after having defamed Hassan Nasrallah or exposed his contradictions, one should say also that when he made the statement in, it was in 2000, I forgot, 2012, I think, I think 40 or so, Shia were killed by a suicide bomber um, in Beirut. And he came, as you may recall, on to um, uh, give a speech and said, anyone who accuses the dear Sunni sect is an Israeli agent. The problem was the New York Times and the BBC inverted that talk completely and said uh, the BBC had Hassan Nasrallah or Hezbollah blamed Sunnis for terrorist bombing. He said exactly the opposite. And that begs the question to me of why that is going on. And there we go into the realm of a little bit of conspiracy. This is from WikiLeaks from 2006, I think, counseling the playing and the playing. Uh, the, uh, playing up of Sunni fears of Iranian influence in Syria. This is way before you know the current uprising. But you know why would the New York Times and BBC totally invert the words of Hassan Nasrallah? Well, this gives you a clue, I think, of the whole thing. And there are many other ideas of this. And this brings me to the notion of exploitation. It is an exploitation, as I said, within, but also from without. Um, Obama himself has at one point all but confessed to this. Why he didn't want to go against ISIS all the way? because you know, it would have relieved the pressure against uh, Baghdad. We have prior instances, I'm flying over this because we don't have time for everything, uh, in the 50s, as you know, where this, a similar 
things were done. And there's many, many examples from Rand, the Biden rule being advocated to Brookings, etc., etc., etc. We have the Israeli ambassador, Michael O'Ran, you know these, uh, these, these statements. So, what is the long and short of it? The long and short of it is that the discourse of conspiracy is so facilely dismissed in the West to cut off debate. It is engaged in and maybe mongered, there's conspiracy mongering, where I'm from, of course, to some degree, for the same reason, to basically uh, absolve the region, if you want, from uh, the locus, but from responsibility. I think both are wrong, and I think uh, one should uh, look re uh, re revisit that. We have the heritage of the US supporting Islamist groups all over the place, openly so, and even someone like John McCain um, saying here, for instance, that the Allahu Akbar is just, you know, a casual statement when referring to jihadist groups, you know, uh, in Syria. So I think that is a, a quite an uh, interesting uh, way. We have, uh, yeah. so I'm going to run to the final because I know our, our, um, our, just something on history since we have Osama here, and this is my take on it, is something I want to say about. Yes, Tawithia, the way we conceive it today is a 19th century construct, and the way it's framed today has to be looked at like as such. But if we speak about sectarianism as being, in one word, bias, and secularism being, in one word, non-discrimination, then we can see seeds of proto-secularism and proto-sectarianism prior to the modern era. And I think it is important, again, to look at it in an open manner and in a dialectical way. That is to say, to recognize, yes, there were rulers such as Akbar in uh, India and Afradin in Lebanon, who, for instance, got rid of the jizya, who had Shia in their armies, who, you know, to a certain degree, exercise a non-discriminatory uh, form of governance. But you also then, of course, have the shadow side of it. And this is, again, not, and this is something very controversial, and again, I'm going to propose, is that um, the secular or the liberal order we have in, in Europe and also in the Middle East did not come, and when I'm from Qatar, you know, the reason why I could go to Qatar is because an emir one day said, I want to have ladies in universities, and I want to have uh, Western universities there. That was not a democratic decision. And the same thing, if you want, with the, a lot of the reforms in Europe with Napoleon, who went to my country, Switzerland, and then right after that went to Egypt to try to, you know, there's a lot of other issues there. But one of the things that was there with the cold Napoleon, the notion of kind of, uh, of a sort of equality, and some of his avatars, like Ibrahim Pasha, and by the way, some I mean, I agree with you in 1960, but you know, as Ibrahim Pasha in 1832 already established in Beirut the Diwan, which was, and also elsewhere, which equally divided between Muslims and Christians. So, in a sense, the, the, the power sharing between constitutive, constitutive sectarian groups goes back uh, prior uh, to, to 1860. Uh, and here we have Ibrahim Pasha's notion uh, on this basically calling for um, a certain equality between the sects. Now, um, this authoritarianism is also visible, of course, we know well in Turkey with uh, Mustafa Kemal out of Turk. And it didn't really, there was nobody in the Arab world really to take that scepter. Sadr, the founder of the Syrian Socialist Party, to some degree was similar to Ataturk because in both of them, in a sense, created political parties. Uh, with a secular ideology, but in Syria, if you see this is a cover of one of the magazines there uh, in Lebanon, and you see there's even a sectarian bias, if you want, in the kind of, this is of course, uh, the Syrian uh, Socialist Party has been co-opted by the Ba'ath Party and by Syria, but you see that there's no Sunnis, for instance, on this uh, hagiography to leaders. 
this is the first mention of the word secularism, which was uh, 18, um, which was coined 1828 by uh, Elias Buchtor, who was one of the translators of Napoleon, and it was coined before the word English, the English word of secularism was coined. The Arabic Almania or Almania was coined prior to the English word secularism. So just as a, as a notion that, that these things are not unrelated. I don't have time to go over all of this. Let me just go on to the kind of current situation, just a very quick thing on what I see as a solution. Um, I think we've been in a continuous devolution or escalation uh, from the Iraq war, as, as I think Farah Haddad and others would agree. And uh, some people said, you know, the Beirut Spring was marked as, as a sort of a, as a, a precursor to the Arab Spring. Uh, I think people who watched that already saw the sectarian divides there and that the infrastructure of sectarianism was not, in fact, dismantled despite all the uh, euphoria. Um, and we've seen, indeed, now the war in Hezbollah, if you want, which is now reaching new heights, took over. So in, in 2005 in Qatar, you asked who's your number one enemy, the number one enemy at that point was Israel by 60%. Today, 15% say Israel, 60%, 70% say Iran. And you see that with all Egypt and everywhere else. So the sectarianism as such, these, these fault lines have gotten to a degree which is uh, almost unbearable. And then what can we learn from history out of this? I think we're reaching a stage at which we maybe will reach this stage here, which is Lebanon, the First World War, which is when there was so much you know, uh, pain and suffering that in a sense that was a crucible into which uh, Muslims and Christians could find uh, a common solidarity. And one hopes that this, this is the original martyr statue in Lebanon, which has now been removed, and on the right you have a Muslim Egyptian girl who painted uh, a mosque consoling a church after there were some desecrations in Egypt, if you remember back when. So I think this crisis that we're having today is creating you know, the extremes on all, on all sides, but also a big fair chunk, I know, by the way, it's a bit of a joke here, maybe this will wake you up, I know some Qataris and Saudis, I just was in the embassy in, 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 Doha, in Washington, who support, believe it or not, Donald Trump. So uh, there is a strange phenomenon here going on of, of, of uh, I think, a polarization. Um, I'm not saying that because they're self-hating Muslims or whatever. I'm just saying that the, the, what, the current ideological uh, spectrum in the region is such that there's so much disgust on some matters uh, in some, some quarters with what's going on through the sectarianism that you might have this, what you have here, for instance, if you ask people who is for a separation of you know, religious privatization of religion, you see the two countries which lead the pact are Lebanon and Iraq. And I don't think it's fortuitous. It's because I mean, these countries, a while back, were the ones most exposed to sectarianism. And so therefore, they are also the ones, I think, most likely to kind of uh, believe in a, in a, um, a non-sectarian solution. Um, of course, this is, again, something I'm trying to write the article online. I'm going to just do it on this topic. To what degree is the current conflict dictated by the rivalry, the new Cold War between America and Russia? And I think that is very important as well. Uh, the there is you can you can argue both ways. You can say the intense enmity between America and Russia is really trickling down into the local divides, or you could, if you want to make the argument, say it's a social thing, and that is then translating into the uh, on the national plane. But uh, I think that rivalry really is, in fact, key as well. And um, we've seen some progress of late, but I don't think nearly enough. And there's still this, this betting on the sectarian cards, because, again, it is a very potent force that one cannot ignore. 
Uh, this despite the fact that I was going to say last thing, that most people in the United States and in the region are against military involvement. Um, despite that, the sales to the region of weapons, the preparations for war are continuing unabated. And I don't think, despite all the intensity, unfortunately, that Mr. Kerry and others have really, really drawn the lessons yet of uh, you know, stopping this escalation and pouring oil into a civilian uh, fire. But uh, this is a very quick uh, survey, maybe a segue, inshallah, into the next political session. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you.